From beautiful East Burke, Vermont, you're listening to the episode number 93 of the Tailwind Coaching Podcast. Welcome to the Tailwind Coaching Podcast. The only podcast on the internet that makes real science real simple. From Joes to pros, we've got the tools to make your cycling goals a reality. And now here's your host, Coach Rob Manning. Welcome, everybody, to the Tailwind Coaching Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that makes real science real simple. I'm the guru of gravel, the sultan of sand, your host, Coach Rob, and I've got a great show for you today where we're going to do a little bit of gravel Q&A. Quickest growing segment of the cycling marketplace is obviously gravel and gravel riding. No secret, I've done a ton of it, I've been doing a ton of it, I've been riding dirt and gravel roads for 10, 12, 13 years at this point. And of course, the more it's exposed to people, the more questions I get in. So I'm going to answer a bunch of questions here that I've gotten from a number of my listeners in the past couple of months. But first, before I get to your questions, here's a couple of announcements. Of course, the Tailwind Coaching website, blog, online training plan store, and episode show notes receptacle are all available at tailwind-coaching.com. If you want to get announcements, new post alerts, coupon codes, training tips, and all that kind of stuff, head on over to tailwind-coaching.com slash sign up, and you can sign up for the Tailwind Coaching newsletter. Don't forget, head on over to iTunes, do me a favor, rate the podcast five stars, and there will be a link in the show notes at tailwind-coaching.com slash 93, that's 93. And on the show notes, you can actually find a short transcript of everything we're talking about today. And if you want to get a hold of me, you can get a hold of me via email, coachrobdc at tailwind-coaching.com, coachrobdc at ta- uh, gmail.com, or you can follow me on the website. Head over to the website, look in the upper left-hand corner, and you'll find a number of different ways to follow me from Instagram to Strava to Facebook, etc., etc. And if you want to give back to the show, you like the show, you want to give back to it, head on over, tailwind-coaching.com slash resources, and you can find a couple of affiliate links that'll help to put a few shekels in my pocket, and that helps to pay for hosting and bandwidth costs and things like that. And of course, finally, if you're looking for a training program or anything of that nature, you can take 10% off any of the downloadable programs in my training plan store by using the podcast10 discount code at checkout. So it's time. Let's get to your gravel questions. Now, it's truly no secret that gravel riding, gravel events, things like that have become one of the hottest, one of the fastest growing segments of the cycling world. It's no secret either that gravel bikes are everywhere. Gravel technology is everywhere. All you have to do is look at any kind of trade show, Eurobike, Interbike, whatever's left of Interbike now, Sea Otter Classic. Everything is dominated by the big tire, big frame clearance gravel cycling market. All right, it's it's a huge, fast-growing segment. The problem is, with any fast-growing segment, new tech comes out, new events are coming out. How do you even know which way to turn? You know, road racing, road cycling is very similar to what it has been in the past few years. Sure, we have trends, right? We've had the the super light bike trend. We had the super deep wheel trend. We had the aero bike trend. And everything seems to combine a little bit with that, and, and you get variations of that. Gravel riding is a weird creature. It's, it's really, it's an amalgamation of a couple of different kinds of riding. 
you have mountain biking, you have road riding, you have cyclocross riding. All of those contribute little bits and pieces to what we know as the gravel scene nowadays. So, honestly, how do you even know where to start? Now, most of you guys know I've been riding on the dirt for years. I mean, <laughs> the idea of off-roading it on your road bike was not even really much of a thing when I started riding it and writing about it. But and there'll be a link in the show notes for uh, an old, old, old post um, that I did way back when um, talking about that. But at this point, you know, 10 years later, gravel riding and getting dirty and getting muddy and adventuring, you can call it adventure riding if you want, is becoming the popular choice for a lot, a lot of riders. So, that in mind, I've collected a bunch of questions that you guys have asked me via email, via Facebook, via Twitter, things like that. And of course, I'm going to go ahead and answer those so that you guys can get an idea of what you need to be doing, what gravel events you should be doing, um, information about bikes, disc brakes, things like that, shifting problems, all kinds of good stuff. So strap in tight, settle in, and we're going to get to all of these questions on this episode of the Tailwind Coaching Podcast. So, number one, Tanya writes in, and she's asking me about gravel bikes, all right? What kind of bike should you ride for an event? What kind of equipment do you need? to really ride a gravel event? Well, Tanya, the answer to that question depends on a number of different factors. And a lot of those factors really depend on the event itself or the ride you're doing itself. For example, how tough is this event? How long is it? How much gravel is involved in it? How many roads there are, you know, gravel roads? The more off-road your event is going to be, the closer to a mountain bike type machine you should be on. The more time you're going to spend on the road, the more road oriented that event is going to be, the more road bike like your machine should be. All right. And I'll give you a good example. And you can check this example in the show notes. There'll be a link to a recent GCN video. Now I'm not a huge fan of GCN stuff, but once in a while, they have a couple of really good things out there. And in this case, they did a New Hampshire, Vermont, Massachusetts type gravel loop. That gravel loop had a fair amount of asphalt on it. Okay. So in that case, even though you're getting some gnarly dirt roads, you're getting some loose, loose stone, probably some dust, maybe some sand, especially in that, you know, New England type terrain you're probably going to want something that rides a little bit more like a road machine, a little bit less like a mountain bike or a cross bike. So you're going to want something that has probably a little bit twitchier handling, a little bit sharper angles, a little bit less tire clearance. Hell, you might even want to go for a more slick tire in that case. Doesn't mean you have to go with a small volume tire, but you can go with something a little bit slicker that'll provide a little bit, a little bit better traction, a little bit better rolling resistance on those asphalt roads. Now, combine something like that event to something that throws single track into the mix. And now you might even want to be thinking about using something like a hardtail cross-country mountain bike. Again, depending on how hard it is, if you're spending a lot of your time on single track cut trails, 
you might want something that's a little more forgiving. You might want something that's a little bit in between. You may want something that is more like a road geometry type frame, but with big, big, big 45 millimeter tires on it. Good example is my, my Parley Chibaco is a, a little bit more of a slackened out road frame, but it takes up to a 50 millimeter tire. I can put up to a 50 millimeter tire on that sucker. So I can pretty much swap tires or wheels at any given point and essentially take it from a pretty much a road event with roadish geometry to a really rough off-road light single track type event. And I can be pretty much set for anything in that type of range. Anything up to and including maybe some light single tracks, some roots, some rocks, but definitely once you hit into trail type conditions, you're going to want to be thinking of like an XC mountain bike. Now, don't forget, the type of vent you're riding, and I mentioned this before, will dictate your, cho your choice of tires too. The more gnarly the dirt, the tougher the event, the more off-road trail type event it's going to be, the bigger the rubber should get. The bigger, the thicker, the more puncture protection you should have. All right, so hopefully that answers that question for you. Next one, moving on. Adam is asking if disc brakes are required for gravel bikes. And, well, uh, Adam, I'm going to say this is a tough one and this is an easy one. And there's two reasons why. Well, there's a reason for each one of them. It's a tough one because I never want to tell somebody that anything is required for a bike. I mean, beyond the obvious, crank set gears, that kind of stuff. Although plenty of people will use single speeds with, to, you know, to no, no problems, but I digress. Are disc brakes required for a gravel bike? Well, no, they're not. They're not required for a gravel bike. And in fact, if you want to start riding these unpaved routes, you can do it on a road bike, without a doubt, all right? You don't have to be in the market for a disc brake bike in order to go off-road and enjoy yourself. That's, it's just not something you have to do. However, something you might consider, if you're going to be riding a dedicated road machine on, let's call it less than ideal road conditions, in fact, I mean, if, if you're riding something like a gravel bike, it's probably ideal road conditions, but you can always consider upgrading your brake calipers to something that's a little bit more efficient, a little bit stiffer. And you can also upgrade the pads to something that are a little bit stickier, a little grabbier. Sure, you're going to wear through them faster, but you're going to get better braking performance through something like that. And in that case, if that's where you're going, my favorite recommendation is something like a Dura Ace caliper. Shimano has long been one of the best braking manufacturers in the world. They continue to be so. However, if you're talking about no holds barred. If I want to go out and buy a gravel specific bike, this is an easy one. And the answer to the question essentially comes from the mountain bike world. Mountain bikes have been using disc brakes for years. My 2005 Kona Dog Primo came with disc brakes. It came with hydraulic disc brakes on it, for that matter. Gravel bikes are easily going that way as well. Disc brakes aren't, of course, required for that experience, but they really do make life a lot easier, especially hydraulic discs. They have better modulation. They have better pure power. They actually, in reality, have a longer lifespan. They're easier on the hands. They make your riding just overall generally easier. So if you're in the 
if you're basically in the market for a new bike, you 100% should be looking for a disc brake equipped bike. Now, caveat, if you are looking for specifically a road machine, that's not going to be necessary. However, in many cases, disc brakes are the de facto standard these days. So, you know what? It seems like the world is trending that way. You might as well go that way too. So, Adam, good question. But again, no, not required. You're never required to have anything. You can go out and ride a Schwinn Stingray on the dirt if you really want to. But yeah, there are a few things that work a little bit better and disc brakes do work a little bit better for gravel because you can modulate yourself a little bit better. Okay, next question coming up here. Let's see here, Sean. All right, Sean, good question coming up here. Is asking whether he should go with electronic shifting or mechanical shifting for his new gravel bike. This is an interesting question, Sean, a very interesting question. A little sip of my coffee here. It is. It's truly, truly nice up here. I like it up here. Um, man, it's really nice to be uh, up in the the hills here. It was a wonderful, wonderful experience. Got it. And it's so good. I can't wait. I'm going to hit the trails later and it's going to be fantastic. But anyway, I digress. There are plenty of arguments on either sides of the electronic or mechanical shifting coin. And I'm going to tell you this. If money is no object. If you're building the bike of your dreams, I'm going to give you my personal opinion and say, absolutely, without hesitation, 100% go with the electronic drivetrain. But to cover both sides of the coin, I'm going to say this. The short answer on this is it depends. Mechanical gears, the cable actuated shifter derailleur combination are really the de facto standard for shifting. They have been for a hundred years. They're very easily repairable. You can repair them sometimes on a trail if you need to. Any bike shop that you run into will very likely have the parts to repair or replace a damaged derailleur, a damaged shifter, broken cables, etc., etc. Cables, for example, are far more plentiful than DI2 wires or ETAP batteries, especially if you're out in the middle of nowhere doing some kind of long adventure ride. All right. On the other side, mechanical shifting can be finicky, especially if you're riding in off-road conditions with dirt, dust, mud, rocks, stream crossings, what have you. A mechanical derailleur can get gummed up and can lose its adjustment capacity. So what I mean by this is the more crap that you get into that derailleur, the less crisp it's going to shift, the more it's going to take effort to shift, the more chance there is you miss a shift, you knock it out of adjustment, all right? And God forbid you do break a cable and you're unable to jury rig it or cut short something so that you can actually snap it back in there, you're pretty much stuck in almost an unusable gear because that derailleur is going to snap down to that lowest cog you're going to be running something like a 3411 or 3911 or something like that, or 12 in that case, if you're using a, a more wider range cassette. But in that case, you might have a little bit of a tough time finishing out that ride. Electronic shifting. Yes, there's a significantly increased level of complexity in terms of components, but modern day electronic shifting systems are pretty much foolproof. They're, they're, I hesitate to say they're idiot-proof, but they almost are. 
They're incredibly precise. In fact, they're a beautiful thing to watch work. Every time you shift, the shift is exactly the same. There's no finessing the gears. There's no finessing a lever or pulling on a cable or getting that tactile push to move something. You click the button and it goes X amount of distance every single time, regardless of mud, water, dirt, grass wrapped in your derailleur. It doesn't matter. It goes every single time. Along with that, you can ham fist your shifts a little bit more. If you're climbing and you really need to drop that gear down a little bit, you can sometimes just hit the button and let it go. Whereas with a cable actuated, spring actuated device, you generally have to have some kind of finesse with it, right? Now, electronic doesn't necessarily mean you can essentially ride like a bull, but it does make life a little bit easier on you especially when you're trying to contend with heat, humidity, bugs, terrain, uh, probably loose terrain underfoot, gravel and dirt and sand underneath you. You're trying to stay upright. You want to be able to make sure that shift hits every single time. Downside, parts can be extremely tough to find. If you break a derailleur out in the middle of nowhere on one of those multi-day or you know, multi-town adventures, your day's over. Your trip could be over. You're probably not going to find one of those at your mom and pop bike shop up in the middle of nowhere. And of course, you always have the issue of a battery, right? You have to make sure your batteries are charged. And if for some reason your battery runs out of juice on the trail or on the road, you could very easily be stuck. However, on the plus side, and I've had this happen to me before, well, at least with the i2, you have a certain amount of time between a quote dead battery and a fully drained battery in that time you'll actually notice well i can't shift the front you can drop the front chain ring down into the small ring and you can actually have about 50 to 70 shifts in the back after that front chain ring stops working after that front shifter stops working you can actually basically set it right in the middle of the cassette and it'll stay in the middle of that cassette and you'll even still have a few shifts here and there. If you really, really need to change that gearing, you still can. So that is one of the benefits of an electronic drivetrain. When it fails, especially if it happens to fail in a battery-operated type way, you have a kind of way out. So you actually do can't you actually can't get out of a pinch in a pinch. So good, good, good question, Sean. There's a lot to that. And of course, something to consider is of course cost. Right. Electronic drivetrains, you're probably looking at spending about twelve hundred bucks on a drivetrain these days versus, oh, hell, you can probably find yourself a Dura-Ace drivetrain for four, five, six hundred bucks if you're really slick with the eBay. So keep that in mind as well. All right. Now, Sarah wants to know what specific fitness do you need for gravel events? And this is a question. Sarah, I can't tell you how many times I've actually gotten this question from a number of different readers and listeners. Here's the thing about gravel events. You really don't need any kind of specific fitness for a gravel event. You can go out, you can ride, you can train, general fitness, and you will be fine in most gravel events. Gravel events are nothing as specific as, for example, a track race or a cyclocross race, which have extremely specific physiological demands to them. Gravel events are really just a variety of endurance event. Granted, the endurance is 
quite a bit harder to finish through and quite a bit harder to work through because of a number of different factors, including the terrain, including the, the increased rolling resistance offered by a dirt and gravel road, um, et cetera, et cetera. I can go on to that and, I, you know, plenty and plenty of different things. But you really don't need any specific training or fitness in order to have fun at a gravel event. If you want to be competitive for a gravel event, that's a little bit of a different story. I'll take two events here that I'm very, very, very familiar with. Hell of Hundred and Battenkill. Somebody comes to me and says they want to do the Battenkill Grand Fondo. I'm going to tell them a couple of things you need to focus on in order to be successful at Battenkill. Can you ride it? Absolutely. Can you just basically power through it and be fine? Sure. If you want to be efficient and you want to be competitive and you want to have a good time, here's what you're going to focus on. Number one, force production. Okay. Force production, I'm saying number one, and I'm going to say it for this specific reason, because the increased rolling resistance of a gravel bike tire, a large volume gravel tire on a loose gravel and mixed surface road requires the ability for your body to produce muscular force. It's simply not as easy to turn the pedals on a thick, tired, large volume gravel bike tire and wheel when it's on a loose, sketchy, gravelly surface. So you need force production in order to be able to turn those wheels and tires over and turn the cranks over. Following on that, muscular endurance. And of course, I, I, I have talked about muscular endurance so many times, I'm essentially blue in the face about it, but I've got to say it again. The harder the route, the harder the terrain and the harder the road surface that you're riding on, the more muscular endurance you need. It is infinitely easier to overrun your muscular endurance capacity and cramp up on a gravel ride than it is on a road ride. I've been there. Okay, I have been there and I've seen people there and I've had friends that have been there. We've done 40 mile gravel loops that are like half unpaved roads and I've been completely smoked by the end of it. I have done 40 mile road loops and I felt fresh as a daisy coming off of that. The increased muscular endurance demands of a gravel event cannot be understressed. Again, can you get away with just an endurance base? Sure. I've seen lots of people do it, but that muscular endurance is really, really important. And so is cadence range. The ability to modulate your cadence so that you're not just a 90 RPM rider. Because I'll tell you, if you're climbing a 12% grade at 90 RPM and you try to lay more power into the pedals, there's a good chance your rear wheel is going to spin, slip, and you're going to be standing there going, son of a bitch, I can't believe that just happened. Being able to modulate your cadence, slowly ramp up your cadence or ramp it down based on the actual terrain underneath your tires is actually very, very, very crucial for a gravel type event. Again, do you need it? No. But do you want to be competitive? You need it. Endurance capacity is a no-brainer. Gravel events tend to be long. They tend to be difficult. They tend to require a significant endurance base. So don't neglect your saddle time. VO2 is supremely important for those heavy, steep gravel climbs. Take Battenkill, you have Stage Road, you have Meeting House Road. Joe Bean Road is actually pavement. Hell of Hunterdon, you have numerous short, sharp climbs. Monkey Knife Fight's a great one. 
the seven big guys are all incredibly steep. All right. You have up to 18% on some of those monkey knife fight climbs. VO2 max is critical for those, those three, five, eight minute efforts in order to be able to go above your red line and repeat again and again and again. Now, it's not a specific fitness piece, Sarah, but something that you'll probably need to work on are bike handling skills. Bike handling skills, and this is what I'm going to tell you, go ride a mountain bike. I mean, this sounds ridiculous, but go ride a mountain bike. That's going to teach you bike handling skills. It's going to teach you how to use your upper body strength, how to stabilize through your core and your hips, how to steer with your hips and counter steer with the bars, how to move the bike around yet hold a steady line at the same time. All right. Those are actually huge requirements, especially when you get into gravel type events that happen to be uh, what's the word I'm looking for? More intense or more adventurous. Um, and now if you're riding a, a true gravel bike like a Parley or a Scott or, a, uh, you know, that, that new specialized Crux or the whatever the Trek one, I don't remember what the Trek one is. When you're riding something like that with the drop bars and suddenly you find yourself on single track, you're going to be thankful that you had that handling skill available. Okay, so the long, the short answer well, I guess the short answer after a long answer is that, Sarah, you don't need any specific fitness, but there are a few things you can work on that will make your life significantly easier. All right, moving on to the next question here. What do we got? We got Richard. Richard wants to know what makes a good gravel event? <laughs> well, what makes a good event in general? My personal thing with this is that if you make a good event, you make a good event. It doesn't necessarily have to be a gravel event, but from what I've seen, events that do very, very well tend to be highly, highly organized. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say this, that Dave Pryor, who is the promoter, creator, owner, whatever, director of multiple events here in the Pennsylvania area, from Monkey Knife Fight to Unpaved Pennsylvania, is probably one of the most well-organized, well-oiled machines that I've ever seen. Um, huge, phenomenal organization uh, in terms of mass starts, sponsors, food, beer, uh, making people feel like they want them there, that you're not just a number, you're not just dollar signs in their eyes, um, that you're, they're not there to try and make cash off of you, all right? Camaraderie for an event is, is, is grossly important. If you want to fight for position in a Peloton, by all means, go on to Bike Reg, find yourself a road race, and hop on in, all right? I, I can't tell you, the first time that I rode Monkey Knife Fight, just the number of people who were complimentary of each other and encouraging and people riding pretty much any kind of bike. I saw, I saw a Schwinn Stingray riding a monkey knife fight a couple years ago. And the, the dude was riding in cutoff jean shorts and a bandana, you know, riding all kinds of bike, all kinds of gear, all kinds of kits, team kits, flannel shirts, you name it, they're riding it. All right. That's important. The organization's important. The, the feel of the participants is important. Varied terrain, seeing something you've never seen before, riding in areas that you've never ridden before. Those are important. I mean, the, the whole purpose, honestly, 
And <laughs> it's funny because I'm looking at my list of questions right here. And as I'm saying this, I'm looking at the next question that's on this list here. And I'm, I'll be right there in a minute. But one of the purposes of riding for riding gravel or riding off road is a sense of adventure, of exploring. If you're not exploring your terrain, you're not doing anything special. You're, you might as well just go out on the road, ride the same road loop that you've done a hundred times before and mark it down on your calendar as a training ride. Yep. I did my 25 miles today. I did my three by threes with three minutes of rest at 120% of my threshold. I'm good to go. The purpose, the allure of gravel is to turn down that road that you've never been down. Yeah. It may not be paved. Yeah. There may be potholes. Hell, it may be half underwater. I mean, there's, there's Instagram pictures of me a couple weekends ago fording a stream with my shoes in my hand and my bike on my shoulder like a cross racer. That's adventure. That's what this is all about. If you're basically riding an event around your home territory that you've ridden a hundred times before, why does that make it an event? How is that a good event to you? Maybe it is. Maybe Hell of Hunterdon's a great event. Don't get me wrong. I love Hell of Hunterdon. I'm not going to ride it because I ride those roads about 12 or 13 times a year. But it's a fantastic event from the rest of it. I'm not going to say it's bad. It's just not for me. Because I don't have that sense of adventure when I'm riding that event. All right? And a unique character. So four things. That sense of adventure, the organization, camaraderie, and a unique character to it. I see a gravel event of any kind as similar to a spring classic, all right? Those of you who are who follow me and who've listened to me for a long period of time, you guys know I love the spring classics. I'm obsessed with the spring classics. Those races have a very special kind of draw. Each race is different. The Tour of Flanders is different from Dwarfs uh, Flandern, which is different from Paris-Roubaix, right? Which is dif- different from Schildebreis which is different from Amstel Gold, which is different from Liège-Bastogne-Liège. Every single one of these has a very specific, special kind of draw. And every event, to me at least, if it's a good event, is going to give me something special and something different that I'm not getting from another type of event. So, Richard, you have to really look at what you want out of an event and what excites you about an event. All right, But the things I'm going to tell you to look for is the organization of the promoter, basically, how well organized is it? Is there a lot of communication? Do you get emails? You know, what's the deal there? Is there a road manual, et cetera, et cetera, all that kind of stuff. That's important, but really it has to be something that moves you. All right. So when it moves you, you know, (laughs) moving on, Tony wants to know why should I even ride on the gravel in the first place? And I, Interesting backstory on this one. Um, Tony was actually one of my prospective coaching clients that I spoke with a couple of months back, um, back in January, February, I believe it was. And, um, you know, he would, I, part of my coaching analysis and what I do with folks when I'm, I'm working through with them, if personalized one-on-one coaching is right for them, I basically try to tell them and get through to them. Okay. What, what do you want to do? What is your goal? Are you trying to do something? Have you tried this event? And we got to talking about different events and he was saying, you know, I just, I want general fitness because I'm burned out on racing and things like that. And I said, well, 
you know, why don't you, why don't you try some of that off-road stuff? Why don't you try an off-road event, a gravel event? And I got the question back of, well, why should I go gravel riding? Uh, riding on the road is cool, but why should I go gravel riding? Everybody likes to do it, but I don't understand why. Well, Tony, let's look at this. <laughs> You're going to be the guinea pig that makes everybody else kind of sit down and think about it here. So why should I start riding on gravel? Well, we can talk about training benefits. Harder surface, more resistance, more intensity for the same distance and gradient. Terrains are typically tougher. Most gravel roads are not nicely graded and basically pretty and pristine. And most gravel roads are kind of cow paths that are built just straight up a friggin' hill. You know, there's not a whole lot of thought and engineering put into most gravel roads. It's essentially straight up the freaking side of a mountain. Sometimes you increase your bike handling skills almost exponentially. The more you ride on, you know, slick, loose, off camber, difficult terrain full of potholes and shit. You're going to have better bike handling skills than the guy that almost never ventures off anything but glass smooth pavement. I can pretty much tell you that. There's cooler routes out there. There's adventuring options. This is what I just talked about with uh, Richard's question here on the purpose of gravel is to explore, to adventure, to see something new. There's fewer cars. There's fewer distractions. You don't have to worry about stoplights. Typically, I've seen gravel roads with stoplights on them, which is kind of an odd situation, but you don't typically worry about stoplights. You don't worry about cars. Most, most people are not driving on dirt roads for fun. Most people go, Oh, off road. I don't, dude, I don't want to take my Lexus on this and might get a ding in it. Fewer cars, fewer people, fewer chances to get hurt. I mean, these are all reasons to get out there and jump on the gravel train, jump on the gravel grind. You know, it's, it's, um, it's, there's a certain, there's a certain soul to it. There's a certain sense of adventure and a certain sense of self where basically you can wander onto any given road at any given time and have a good time. Even if the road sucks, you can have a good time. You're out in nature, you're out in farmland, wherever the case may be. Some of my, some of my absolute very favorite moments have come on unpaved roads out in the middle of nowhere that I, I never would have seen. I never would have decided to venture down had I not said, well, what the hell? Let's see where this goes. Granted, nowadays we pretty much have phones that have Google Maps on them at any given time. And you can say, oh, I know exactly where this goes. But that doesn't mean you've ever been on it. So to answer Tony's question, which is an impromptu question, but I thought it was very appropriate. Why should you go gravel? Why should you go riding on those gravel roads, those unpaved roads? Because it's different. It's different training stress. It's a different world. It's different adventure. It's just different. And that's what's the spice of life, especially in a stale cycling world. I mean, if you're bored, tired of riding on the road, you know, same groups, the same people, jump into a different group and go hit some off-road stuff. It'd be surprisingly cool. Moving on here, we got Katie. Katie wants to know a couple of good gravel events. Well, um, Katie just happened to be a New Englander. I would not going to consider myself a New Englander because 
I'm not. According to the maps in my Volvo, it's I'm a mid-Atlanticer, whatever the hell that is. But I digress. Some events that are awesome, and if you guys are willing to travel, Unpaid Pennsylvania is a fantastic event. Again, I mentioned that by Dave Pryor, the same guy that organizes Monkey Knife Fight, which I could do in a minute here. Fantastically organized, amazing, amazing terrain. In fact, there's pictures on my Instagram from last October when I did Unpaved for the first time. It was phenomenal. It was great. It was just a hell of a fun day. Very, very difficult day. Very tough. Needs some real specific thought into how much training and how much endurance you're going to be able to put into it. So I pulled a bunch of the workouts for my bat and kill gravel, gravel training program. And that really helped me quite a bit. Um, helped me handle the high resistance roads and the long climbs and stuff like that. Um, but it's a great event. Okay. A couple other events, and I'm going to talk about the ones that are local ish to me so that you guys have an idea, but there's plenty of research out there for a few Hell of Hunterdon, another great event. Some of the best riding on the East Coast happens to be in New Jersey. And if you think I'm kidding, look at Grand Final New Jersey, look at Hell of Hunterdon, look at the Fool's Classic. Any of those which happen to be localish to me, Delaware Valley type and you know stuff, are awesome. All right. Varied terrain, beautiful areas, incredibly challenging terrain. Monkey Knife Fight. I did an entire series on the road to monkey knife fight from the point where one of my friends asked me, Hey, you should come out and do this to holy shit. That was way hard. So you can check out that post. That link is going to be in the episode show notes, but in short, probably one of the best events I've ever done. And, and I've ridden dozens and dozens and dozens of events from track events to mountain bike events, to races, road races, charities, centuries, Probably one of the best events I've ever done. Uh, and in fact, I'm really, really disappointed that I didn't do it this year. And I'm hoping to do it next year because it's a great event. But a couple of other ones that are really good um, that I have friends and family who have done these. Rasputitsa is a fantastic event. It's massively, massively difficult. It's held up in the East Burke area of Vermont in April, March or April, I don't remember off the top of my head. It's incredibly difficult. It's only about 35, 40 miles, but you will suffer like an absolute dog for the entirety of it. So Rasputitsa, you can check that out on the web. There's tons of info on that. Dirty Kanza is always the big guy. Dirty Kanza is the monster. Everybody wants to do it. Everybody thinks it's going to be great. They get there and they go, holy shit, this sucks. <laughs> All right. I've had a number of folks who do it and they love it. I've had a number of folks who've done it and they hate every minute of it but it is probably one of the most challenging events out there something you can take a look at there's hundreds and hundreds of resources on that uh d2r2 is another one that's really really popular one of the original gravel events i believe it's up in deerfield massachusetts if i i think it's massachusetts if i remember correctly uh, i've never done it but i've had a number of people who have done it and they've said it's absolutely phenomenal some of the most beautiful terrain on the east coast uh the most beautiful vistas some of the toughest riding on the east coast in that area so there's a few things you can actually take a look at and again um katie take a look at the previous question that i had on uh what makes a good gravel event from richard and that'll get you where you need to be so that being said i'm what about looks like i'm about 39 40 minutes here uh yeah it looks like it's about that 
there's some mountain biking for me to do, guys. And you know what? The sun is shining, and I'm looking like I want to get out onto Darling Hill onto those trails. So thank you all for listening. If you have any questions, don't be afraid. Shoot them to me on Facebook, on Twitter. You can find me again, tailwind-coaching.com, and you can find me on any of those social media platforms, coachrobdc at gmail.com or at tailwindcoaching, tailwind-coaching.com if you want to get a hold of me. If you've got any questions, if you have a question you want featured on one of these Q&A segments that come out periodically, don't be afraid to shoot it over there to me. And, uh, you know, there's no such thing as stupid question because I'm sure everybody has, well, not everybody, a lot of folks have the same questions. So, Thanks for listening. Keep the shiny side up. Keep the rubber side down. Keep getting dirty out there. And I'll be catching up with you all again really, really soon.